Right on. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Justin and Haley. Great work, as usual. Let's give them... Yeah. They did good work. Yeah. So, uh, man, it is great, once again, to be with you all as we uh, wrap up, conclude our series on, on this, on the greats. As usual, you have a handout if you want to follow along with me in that. And uh, it has been a wonderful time of getting to look through and examine some of these key statements that Jesus made. They're so important for us to look at and to apply to our lives and to really go to these statements, go to these concepts as a huge part of just uh, how we choose to live and what, what choices we make in terms of all kinds of things and what we do with our lives in our futures. And so I want to cast some vision for you today for uh, as we get, get back into the great commission of Jesus. And so I want to pull that up for us again. Go ahead and uh, you have that in your handout somewhere, in your notes. And so let's read through once again the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's so much, so much I could unpack from that about Jesus's promise that he'll be with us to the end of the age and his, the reality that all authority has been given to him, all these different little nuances of these beautiful words that he shares with us. Last week, I made an emphasis on his call to make disciples, right? to make disciples. So this week, I want to continue that phrase that Jesus says. He says, to make disciples of all nations, of all nations. And so last week, I felt like it was important to, to give us just a, a kind of local grasp of like how we could turn around and tomorrow uh, do what Jesus asked us to do, to make disciples. This is a reality for all of our lives that we can be responsive to. But... We can also be responsive to, and we can think through more ways of how we can be responsive to and obedient to making disciples of all nations. That is a huge task. How do we do that? Once again, we only do that in his power. And we need to understand also what that actually means. And so I want to look through a bunch of elements of what it means to make disciples of all nations today and to help us understand just more of the concept of missions and what God's designed in, in history, in the word, in our lives for us to uh, interact and to make a difference in the world at large. So when Jesus says to make disciples of all the nations, that word nations, we mostly think about countries, right? Make disciples, if, if we just put the gospel in every country on earth, then you know, job complete, you know, the, would accomplish the task, right? That might be the way that we might think about that. But the word nations in the original uh, Greek was a different word. It was called ethne. And that and ethne, uh, basically what it means is ethnic groups or people groups. And so uh, one helpful definition of this, uh, this idea comes from a book that I highly recommend, uh, besides the Bible, 
is uh, The Fuel and the Flame. The Fuel and the Flame is a, a great book who is, which was co-authored by uh, one of the, the, the guy who uh, started Challenge here, uh, founded Challenge in Chico State. And so um, they write in that book about ethnic groups. It says, ethnic groups are bands of people who share the same unique language, customs, appearance, and religion. There's some categories there. Although there are about 225 countries, there are approximately 17,000 of these unique ethne around the world, ranging from 2,500 to as many as 25 million people. And almost two-thirds of these groups are considered reached, meaning they have a church led by their own people reaching out to its own people, kind of like we have here in the U.S. Meanwhile, one-third are considered unreached, meaning they are still waiting for a laborer to come and plant the message of Christ and have a church established in their people group. Did you hear that? 2,000 years have gone by since Jesus said this. 2,000 years since Jesus proclaimed the Great Commission and those who are unreached are still waiting, still waiting for the gospel, still waiting for somebody to go to them and share and to make disciples of, of their particular nation, of their particular people group. One third. And so these, these statistics, these ideas aren't here to bum us out but hopefully they can spur us to some kind of action. And so I wanna kind of walk through the rest of our time looking at sort of the past, present, and future uh, of missions. God has a global plan of redemption for all peoples. It's not just us who are lucky enough to have access to God's word, but it is for all nations if it would just reach them, if it would just get to them. And so I just want to put this on our hearts as something that we can pray about and consider and hopefully our perspective on this can incline us toward action, toward obedience, toward doing something, at least thinking the right way about really making sure that we can do our part to uh, get the gospel uh, and make disciples to all nations. And so in the past of missions, uh, when I was younger, <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel like the word lore, when you hear that word, that mostly meant like science fiction, like fantasy lore, you know? And so you had people like me who could tell you a lot of things about like Star Wars lore, right? You know, and Justin, you know, we can do that. Uh, and there's all, what that, you know, that's all these different like details and facts about the kind of the background of all these different things. Well, I feel like that word has kind of become more mainstream in recent years where like now like everything has lore, right? Like Taylor Swift has lore and your favorite content creator has lore. There's all these different kind of like things like details that we just know, we just know too many things now, you guys, you know? And so everything has lore now. And so it gives us these background details about the subject matter and it gives us some context about what they're doing uh, in, in real time. And so keep that in your mind. Uh, so this summer, we are sending a team of about five students uh, overseas for a month and a half. I am so excited for them, for that team uh, that we're equipping to go overseas for that time. And uh, it'd, be, it'd be tempting for some of us to even think about that as just this annual program that we do, send a couple students overseas, we make them have a great time, you know, kind of in a, in a foreign country and we bring them home. But, you know, 
Now, there is biblical context for what we're trying to do, even through something as simple as a short-term mission trip. And so it's more than just kind of a fun vacation. No, it's like there's a biblical context. There's some lore to this that will help us as we understand, as we pick apart kind of what we're trying to do in our current state of missions uh, in, in the West, in the U.S., or just in the whole world. And so let's get into some of the lore here. And so uh, this is where some of these blanks will come into play, and I encourage you to uh, write down some things if you want to. So the, the first of these kind of past events that I want to highlight, there's four of them. The first of these is Abraham. we got Abraham, where he receives a calling to go, and from him there is, there's a blessing for all peoples. There was a man in the 12th chapter of the entire Bible, early, early, early on, we read about God's call to a man named Abraham. And God calls him to cross cultural lines in order to bless all peoples on the earth. Here's what God says to him. The Lord has said to Abram, which is the name, Abraham's name before he got renamed to Abraham, okay? He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth, all peoples on earth, one more time, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God tells Abraham that. And so what that means is that Abraham, he had descendants, and those descendants ended up becoming this people group of Israel. He had a son, Abraham had a son named Isaac, Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob's name was later turned to Israel. And so God intended to use Israel and that nation that came about from him to bless all peoples. And it started with Abraham, the call of Abraham to go. And so next is kind of the next part of this, the next phase is Israel. Israel, which is God's covenant people for all nations to know. I understand that there's certain kind of, you know, geopolitical things associated with the word Israel right now. I'm not trying to get into that, but in the, this is in the biblical people group sense. Once again, this is just the name of a guy. His name was Israel, and he had 12 sons. And those 12 sons ended up being the heads of these tribes of Israel. And they, they, they grew and they expanded, and they became this just great nation by God's blessing, because of the blessing that he had delivered through Abraham. So God chose Israel to be his holy people, showing the nations around them how good and powerful the one true God is. That was his objective through them. And so there's all kinds of examples of God working miraculously through the Israelites in the first few books of uh, the Bible. And one of these is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17 is the famous story of David and Goliath. Who's heard about David and Goliath one time or another? And so this is a very well-known story, and it is more than just an underdog story right? And we, we have a lot of those in our culture. You know, this is more than just rocky. This is like, there's, there's something bigger than that. It's a story about God's greatness on display. And so in 1 Samuel 17, there's some buildup basically where David is preparing to fight the Philistine, which is also known as Goliath, who was a giant, we're told. And so 
he ends up confronting Goliath, and Goliath has some things to say to David. And then David has this to say to Goliath. It says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. You ready for this? <laughs> I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Whew. That all the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And so David kind of educates <laughs> Goliath saying, hey, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to destroy you guys. And this is for God's glory. This is so that I'm putting God's power on display, understanding that this was a ridiculous situation where David was just a young man. Goliath was a giant. And he managed to defeat Goliath, not because he was awesome, but he was faithful. And God used him to put his power, put God's power on display. That was David's objective. That was God's objective through David was so that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Something, something's going on in Israel because that guy defeated Goliath. That was incredible. And so he sent a message to the surrounding nations through that. That's what God wanted to do through Israel by, by extending his power and showing just how mighty and how great he, he is. And in Psalm 67, uh, David wrote this Psalm. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. It says that your way, that God's way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God, uh, David used his life, used his just choices to, to honor God, to be faithful, and for God to use him in order to, for God to be known on earth. And that's what David committed himself to, so that his saving power be known among all nations. God is powerful, and Israel was put in place to make that clear to the people around them. Now, as the Old Testament progresses, it doesn't get so good, though. Israel rebels against God, and that has consequences. And eventually, they, it leads to them being exiled and scattered among the nations. And so they're in disarray. But a remnant of these people, of God's people, are eventually released from their captivity. They get together, and they're trying to rebuild what was once lost. And their future is pretty uncertain as the Old Testament comes to a close. As they await a Savior who will heal their sufferings and their sinfulness once and for all. They were waiting for that. And then we turn the page to the New Testament. And so that's where we see the third part of this story, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Israel was there. Abraham was there to bless the nations, ultimately, through his descendants. And Israel was put in place to put on display God's power, to show the people around them his holiness and his, his might and his ways but they, still something was missing. And so we see as the pinnacle of history, Jesus came, God himself came 
The New Testament begins and the Messiah is born. And so Jesus came to do many things. He did many incredible things through his life. And, but he came especially to proclaim the kingdom of God, to teach and model the way of God, and to die and rise again as the sacrifice of God for the world. He did this for the world. This wasn't just for Israel. This wasn't just for people who go to church. This is for the world. John 3:16. For God so loved who? The world. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so that's what Jesus came to do. And it was for the whole world. After Jesus' earthly ministry and his resurrection, he then commissioned his disciples to carry the mission forward, right? And so we see that in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And then it also, this is also where he establishes the church. And that's the, the fourth kind of last bit of scriptural history that, that gives us some context for God's plan, God's global, God's ongoing, eternal plan to bring all peoples to himself for missions. The church and their goal is to be witnesses to the end of the earth. In one account, there were, in Matthew 28, it records an account of Jesus sharing the great commission to his disciples. Well, in a different account, um, a writer named Luke, he writes down this other statement of Jesus right before he ascends in Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power, Jesus says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So when Jesus told, told the peop, his disciples this, they were in Jerusalem. It's like, okay, you're going to preach this here. And then you're going to preach it in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's, he's kind of, it's radiating out. God's message was to radiate outward from the place that they were to the end of the earth. So that's where he wanted his kingdom, that gospel to extend through his church. So that brings us to now. We are God's church in the 21st century and we're still busy. <laughs> we're still not there yet taking the gospel to the end of the earth. And so it's important for us to, to receive this call, to receive this commission and go, okay, well, what's my role to play in the Great Commission? Like, how can I, what, what are you asking me to do, David? Like, are we trying to just like every, all of us just need to get up and go to be missionaries somewhere? How's this supposed to work? I have some ideas for you, okay? The present of missions. So I want to talk about the need and some solutions. So as we already learned, about one-third of the people groups on earth today, making up a, a couple billion people, are considered unreached. They do not have access to the gospel. So why is that a big deal? Why is that a big deal that these people don't have access to the gospel? Well, in Acts 4.12, one of Jesus' disciples says this. He says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Think about that. There is no other name. Why, why did Jesus want so bad for his people to make disciples of all the nations, take it to the ends of the earth? 
because there is no other name by which we can be saved. Jesus says, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. His name is the only one we can call upon who will forgive us and heal us, cleanse us, and, and save us. And in Romans 10, 13 through 15, Paul writes, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's that name again, the name of the Lord. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There's a problem. There's a problem. There's this kind of pipeline, right, that we see where, okay, for someone to be saved, they have to call on the name. Okay, how do they call on the name? They need to believe. Okay, how do they believe? They need to hear. Okay, how do they hear? With so someone needs to preach to them. How do they preach? They need to be sent. And so there's this whole line of logic, right, that Paul's using in Romans 10 to communicate to us the importance, the need, the urgency of this, of this problem that we have. How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? If they would just hear, then some of them would believe. And so there's, there's a kink in that, in that hose where, where we've failed to send people to preach to them. We've failed to send people to enable them to hear in the first place. And so God has chosen the act of proclaiming the truth as his primary means of transmitting the cure to sin and death. That's huge. So how can you and I then make a difference in order to combat the staggering lostness of our world? I have just five simple habits, five simple uh, practices, ideas for you. I, I also got these from The Fuel and the Flame. I, once again, I encourage you to check out that resource. And uh, that resource specifically talks about being a world Christian. What is a world Christian? And so they have this kind of definition of what that could look like for us, how we could take on that identity. It says in the fuel and the flame, world Christians are those who not only view the world and life from God's perspective, they have world vision. They see the world and life from God's perspective and they share his heart for all people, doing what we can to see the nations reached. We just need to do what we can. We just need to do what God has called us to, what God would have us do. And so, so I encourage you as we go through these quickly to check your heart, to check your, what God might be putting on your heart in order to, to do one or multiple of these things. So the first of these is going. Okay, that's simple. We can figure that out. Okay, going. Five habits of a world Christian is going. See, the reality is some people... Got, we can't get over this. Some people are called to go and across cross-cultural cross lines and, and live among a people group who doesn't know God so that they can hear and respond to the message of salvation. Some of us are called. This may sound crazy, but people much more normal than you have heard this particular call and responded to it in obedience. This is a call that, that not everyone's called to go, but some are. Not everyone's called to go, but some of us are. So it's right for us to pray about where God wants us. God, do you want me here focused on the people that you put in my life or doing these other steps that we'll get to of being a world Christian? Or God, this is scary, but maybe, just maybe, you're calling me to give my life 
give some part of my life to going overseas and making a difference and making the gospel available, giving someone somewhere access to you who would otherwise never hear it. And so I just, I just want to, let, let us just think about that a little bit, go home and just consider I know it sounds crazy, but pick up a biography about a missionary. Read about the lives of men and women like Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, or Lottie Moon, or Jim Elliott, hundreds more. Be inspired by those people's faith. Consider whether God's calling you to the mission field in the way that he called them. And so that's one way, okay? Maybe you've already kind of glossed over that one. Well, that's okay because there's, there's four more. But I want to encourage you to consider, do any of these fit into your life? Second one, praying. First going, then praying. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to 38, Jesus tells his disciples, encourages his disciples, in light of of the lostness around him, the people around him, like sheep without a shepherd, he said to his disciples to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. It's his harvest field. It's his harvest field that he just, needs, he just needs workers. And so there are people available who would hear and respond to the saving gospel of God's grace if there would just be a laborer who, who would come to them. And one of the things Jesus told us to do outside of making disciples of all nations is just ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask God to send out workers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to, to send people to go. There's different resources that we can use also to pray for certain nations, certain people groups. There's some resources I know of called Operation World. There's one called Joshua Project. They supply you with details, some facts, some information that would help you to pray in ways that uh, are effective, ways that are specific about these different countries, these different people groups and their needs and uh, their spiritual needs and their physical needs. And also, I want to encourage you to pray for missionaries that you might know personally to be effective in their goals of reaching the nations. How could you leverage your prayers to fill the mission field? That's another way there. Next is sending. We're going, praying, sending. Going, praying, and sending. So some of us are called to do what we can and to use the resources that God has given us to help others go overseas. Romans 10 says, How can they preach unless they are sent? It is up to us to send those of us who are called to go. So how could you leverage your major and your career to fill the mission field? Maybe you're going to graduate from Chico State and you're going to get out of here. You're going to make big bucks somewhere and I'm going to be really happy for you. And you'll have a lot more resources at that time to make either a temporary impact by feeling good and living the good life and feeling comfortable now Or you could give and you could send people in such a way that makes an eternal impact. I want us to consider that too. So going, praying, sending, and then welcoming. Another one is welcoming. Now this one is is kind of specific to us in the university sphere or in the college sphere because there are a few hundred international students just around us, just on our campuses right now. And many of whom come from places that are closed off to the gospel. And so they're here, they're on our doorstep. It's just a matter of what are we going to do to invite, to welcome them into our spaces like this or into our homes or into just our lives in order to be hospitable and give them an opportunity to respond to that. Because 
they're already here. <laughs> we might not, you might not even have to go overseas in order to make an impact on a, an international student, somebody from a, a place far ways away who's, who happens to be here right now. How could you leverage your hospitality to engage the mission field that's next door? Then finally, mobilizing. Going, praying, sending, welcoming, and mobilizing. So through mobilization, we can pass on what we know about these truths that we've been hearing tonight. So another quote I have from the Fuel in the Flame says, in reality, mobilization is discipleship. It is helping other believers see a more complete picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ and their role in God's grand story of redemption. And so we just want to mobilize by simply taking what we know and what we can study too. God's word has much, much more to say about this than what I'm, I can communicate tonight. But if we and I take what we hear and take it seriously and understand the gravity of, of whole people groups, whole groups of people who are, are destined for se- to be separated from God for eternity, if nothing changes for them, if we can t- let those truths sink into our hearts and pass that on to other people we know, other believers that we know, then we can help to spread this vision of being a world Christian, being somebody who will actually work and do something in order to change God's world for the better? How can you leverage your influence in other people's lives to fill the mission field? And so I want to wrap up here and by talking about the future, right? We looked at the past of, of what God has done in his word and what, how he's shown us and woven kind of throughout history and throughout scripture, his, his global plan. And then we looked at the present, what we can do now. Well, what's the future going to be like? Well, Jesus once gave us a clear timeline of how this is all going to go down. In Matthew 24, it says, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so, when Jesus said, until the end of the age, it's like, this gospel just needs to get everywhere. This gospel needs to get into every people group in order for the end to come, in order for God to usher in eternity and for us to experience uh, life together with him. Um, a really significant, helpful, kind of tif- difficult book about missions is called Let the Nations Be Glad. And in, in it, John Piper writes this. He says that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. After all this, after all this time talking about missions, no, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate and not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So in this quote, we see our goal in all of this is to glorify God. Our goal in all of this is to glorify God and to draw as many people from as many nations to join us. There are people out there who can't worship God because they don't know who God is. And those of us who have experienced his marvelous light and experienced the, the beauty and the joy of worshiping him and knowing him, have the opportunity, have the privilege of making that possible so that more worshipers of God can be drawn into his family.
In the book of Revelation, the author is given incredible visions of the future as God wraps up history at the end of time. And so once, once we fulfill the Great Commission and we get the gospel to all nations, all people groups, what's going to happen then? We're going to step into eternity and praise God along with those who represent every culture, every nation, every people group on earth. I'll read Revelation 7, 9 through 10, just, which is just a taste, just a glimpse of what we'll experience. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's where all this is headed. That is the future of missions. Worshiping God for who he is, along with all the other peoples of the earth. So I encourage us to consider what our role is in that. Let me pray for us. Father, you have called us all to to many different things in our lives. Many different majors, many different specific interests that, God, you've designed, you've wired us for, you've built us to give you glory in a specific way. God, I pray that you would put it on our hearts, those of us who need to hear, who need to know that, that you've set us apart for a, for a specific mission, for a specific calling. I understand that not all of us are going to go and be missionaries in some faraway place, but God, I pray that for those of us who you would call, that you would put it on our hearts, that you would make it abundantly clear to us. But for, for the rest of us, God, just, just put something on our hearts. Help us to understand how can we contribute? How can we be a part and participate in making more worshipers of you so that we can link arms with them at the end of time in order to, in order to celebrate together, in order to worship you? I pray that these things would be on our hearts, free of condemnation. God, you have set us apart for you. To, to love you and know you. And God, we're just excited for what you're going to do through us. In Jesus' name, amen.